Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and it is Friday, and it's Friday with friends today, because I have Vince Miller in the studio, who's my friend, and we're going to talk about uh, his new book, The Book of Job, and it's going to be a great hour. He's the author and speaker to men around the world. He's been a busy guy, and he has authored numerous books uh, for men, and it's hosted on major platforms. He hosts podcasts, writes articles, and provides daily thoughts from God's Word, all just for men. But I don't think this hour is going to be just for men. Vince, welcome. Thanks, buddy. I mean, it's going to be more than just yeah. for men, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's more than a hair product. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> because all the women that would be listening are interested in their men becoming better men, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I think women want men to be better men. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I know my wife pushes me to do that. Well, it's a good thing, and I think men make men better too. Oh, they do. We need each other. Iron sharpens iron, one man another. I, I'm pretty convinced that um, men need to be in accountability with other men. They need to get in each other's faces and speak truth and love and offer grace, but, but also show some accountability. Yeah, that's that verse, man. That verse is epic. It kind of describes this like, uh, you know, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen is what we're talking about, obviously. But, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of picture that verse and it's like this. I always imagine that this iron worker is working in his shop, you know, <laughs> and he, he's got his leather gear on, mm-hmm. you know, and he's working with iron, he's, he's heating it up, he's sweating, and you really don't see what the metal is supposed to become, at least at first, and then he starts pounding on it, and he starts heating it up, and then it starts to take shape, and you start to realize it, and then all of a sudden he takes it away from the heat because he's kind of got it generally shaped. You can start to see it, and he takes it over the grinder, and he starts to work on it. And uh, that's the process right there is just men don't subject themselves to that process enough, and thus yeah. the, rela- the relational part is the grinding, the sharpening, the staying in relationship with other men, and like you said, getting in each other's face once in a while is, is appropriate, right? It's, it's very appropriate. And do you, when you see that image of, of the metal worker, do you see sparks flying on occasion? Because I do. Oh, man. If, if In my life, yeah. right? That's where we got to see it. Because, right. it, as you know, if rust is just sitting around in the barrel, it's mm-hmm. rusting is what mm-hmm. it's doing. It's useless. It, it doesn't have any shape. It doesn't yeah. get sharper. And so this is really that iconic image of, of what it's like for men to be in relationship with other Christian men is what we're talking about right. here. Getting sharper around God's word. And man, that's uh, we we shy away from it. But the more you subject yourself to it, the sharper you get, the more beautiful. You get. I think every guy, Vince, should have their own personal board of directors. Yeah, I've heard people talk about that. Like, uh, I, I'm a little bit more loose about that. I think you have guys specifically in your life, if I remember correctly, that speak into you. Yes, they right? do. Where you feel like you can have that chemistry, you can share. But there is something about that personal board of directors because. I've got guys that I go to just for specific things, right? Like I got a guy who's really smart who I go to to help me understand certain things that are happening with the times. And I got another friend who I share really personally with. And I got yeah. a, another guy who's a finance guy who's really sharp on finances. Mm-hmm. And 
and really, I've naturally built this team around me, so I think you could call it a board of directors. I think you could. Yeah. Yeah, but someone that could almost pull rank on you if you're going to do something super stupid, right? Or if you're living in, in some sin that you're a little blinded to, I would want someone to come up and say to you, hey, Vince, knock it off. Yeah, exactly. You need and to know what you're doing, and I'm calling you out on it. Exactly, and do it in such a way that it, it, it kind of it might catch you off guard. It might cause you to feel a little bit of shame or guilt in the moment. But I always recognize that when someone calls me out and they and I know them well and they do it in a good way. Mm-hmm. That man, if I dwell on it for maybe an hour or a couple hours, because I will, bro. Like, I mean, even if you said something <laughs> to me, I'm going to think about it. You know, I'm mm-hmm. going to think about it for hours. Then I'm going to wake up the next morning. I'm going to go. You know, Bill was right. I probably should address that thing. I probably should never say that on Faith Radio ever again. (laughs) Well, and hopefully your board, your personal board, would be sensitive and know you well enough to know the kind of language that you would respond to. Oh, yeah, because my wife's on that board. I think she leads it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, (laughs) she's got a whole lot of things to say to me at any given time. And, you know, I've, I've gotten sharper over the years by just, like, by hearing her out. Like, I call it stripping away you know, eating the meat and throwing out the bones. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, sometimes people don't say things the way that we want to hear it or the way that we want it delivered. And, you know, sometimes we got to just spit out the bones uh, of what we heard, eat the meat and kind of understand what that is and then engage around that so that we can become better. Because that's the way we get better is we just, we get sharper by being in relationship with other people. Isolation doesn't lead to anything good. There's nothing no. about that. The last two years have been evidence of that. Yeah, there's some repercussions now showing up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you, we knew that was going to happen. Oh, yeah. Didn't we? Do you think men suffer from a, a basic low-level anger? Yeah, I think... Or is that just me? <laughs> <laughs> We're having fun today, aren't we? <laughs> uh, We're going to get to your book eventually. No, this Time is permitting. great. No, this Time is Time permitting. The book of Job. Yeah. So, uh, you know, anger is interesting for men because I think sometimes men are one-dimensional when it comes to emotions, unfortunately. I mean, if you read uh, through the Psalms, uh, you'll discover that that David was actually a pretty emotional kind of guy. He had all kinds of emotions. I think he made some of them up, by the way. But, you know, he had all these incredible emotions as a man that I think actually made him attractive. And I believe that God is is very emotional. He gave us emotions yeah. to experience a, a maybe a dimension of who he is. But But guys are okay with anger because for some reason, anger... Seems to be socially acceptable, but to only experience anger and never experience sadness or true elation and joy or pleasure or, you know, even a sense of calmness and peace, mm-hmm. right? Like those are acceptable too. And I think men that aren't in touch with them miss out on a dimension of themselves and miss out on a dimension of God. In fact, I think that's actually what made King David. I know we're talking about Job, but I think that's what... We'll, get, know, we'll get to your book, we'll Time there. Permitting. Yeah, we'll get there eventually. But I think that's what made King David so appealing and sexy, actually. Uh, because I'll say this, he definitely was someone who had appeal to women. But he had these men that surrounded him because he had appeal. Mm-hmm. Like, he had some genuine appeal. There was something about it. And I think it was his emotion. Like, I mean, if you read his stuff deeply... He he has an ability to emotionally connect with people in very intense moments that yet still trusts in God with those emotions. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has these tense moments throughout his narrative where you're just like, 
Man, that's cool. However he did that. I mean, Daniel Goldman talked about this, too. Emotional intelligence or, or EQ, the, the power of being able to connect with someone else, you know, and their emotions gives you the ability to lead them. And, you know, it's not a leadership tactic. It, it's actually a spiritual dimension of our soul that we want filled. And so I, I think men got to get over the one-dimensional emotional uh, you know, experience of anger. It's not just anger. You're not just angry all the time. You're not just frustrated all the time. There's other things going on in your soul that you may not be able to articulate, but they're going on there, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, opinions, I guess, but some of it I think is now, grounded. The, the emotional thing is interesting. Obviously, men are incredibly emotional beings, right? And sometimes when anger shows up, even at low levels, it's sort of a false way of trying to gain some level of control. Yeah, I think they're trying to manip- manipulate the situation for sure. They're trying to insert their ego into yeah. it to control the situation so that they don't have to deal with the things that are going on in their soul, right? So, mm-hmm. like, for example, uh, in the moments I'm frustrated, I come home and I'm, I'm frustrated. I, I kind of had to learn that I can't just, you know, explode on everybody in my house. I got to take a moment to kind of get in touch with why am I feeling this way and that none of those people in my home deserve to experience this side yeah. of me right now. Yeah. So I've got to regulate that, pull it back. But it is a way to weaponize against other people the the lack of being in touch with really what just happened to us, who we are, and how to respond and really lead those experiences, lead those emotions in a direction that brings glory to God because actually it just demonstrates that we don't trust God mm-hmm. when we just get angry and explode at people all the time. Why would you want to explode when you go into your house? Uh, I think it's, I think sometimes... What, what's all pent up when you're walking in? Yeah, I just I just think that we, uh, we with the people that we love the most, tend to regulate how we feel and lead the most. It's, mm-hmm. it's really unfortunate. I, I, I've been guilty of it with my kids, with my wife, at different moments in my marriage, especially during really tense seasons of our marriage or life. But uh, I don't know why I did it. I, I just... Maybe I'm was ignorant in the moment. Maybe I wasn't in touch with what was going on inside of me. Maybe I was just deeply frustrated and I felt safe to explode there. But it, all it does is injure other people. Mm-hmm. That's all it does is it brings the injury that I'm experiencing and it projects it onto others. And and I don't want that for, for my wife or my kids. And mm-hmm. I have to really get in touch with myself to be able to understand that. Yeah. So, Vince, how would you describe a passive man? You know, this is really unfortunate. I, I This is a big topic, and I think we should chase it for a while. But well, Let's do it after the break, then. Okay, let's do it after yeah. the break. Yeah. My guest is Vince Miller, and he's got a new book out. I don't know if we'll get to it, but it's kind of interesting what we're oh, yeah. doing right now. Well, so, let's keep going. Yeah. Anyway, his book is called The Book of Job, a Bible Study Guide for Men. Vince Miller is my guest. You can uh, learn more about him at beresolute.org, B-E-R-E-S-O-L-U-T-E.org. Org. Be right back. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. In my studio, and we're talking about maybe, maybe getting to his book, the Book of Job. I don't know if we'll get there. Yeah, job, whatever you want to call them. No, it's definitely, yeah, yeah, definitely J-O-B. Yeah, yeah. All right, Vince, uh, my question was about a passive man. I think there's uh, issues in relationships if the man is passive. 
Yeah, I think, you know, passivity is really an interesting topic because when, when I think of passivity, I think of biblical passivity, passivity to obedience to God, right? So specific passivity begins way back in the garden when man didn't speak up or act out in regard to obedience to God. That's where everything fell apart. It continues to be the issue. It's the ominous issue that leads to sin, right? Every day in all of our lives, every everybody is guilty of it, men and women, but I especially see it in a man's life because he's just, he, he can be very unengaged with God on a regular basis, and that's what always gets him into trouble. Um, I call it apathy. Um, a little bit of a different name, same same idea. You can call it indifference, too. Mm-hmm. That's another name for it. But it, it continues to get us in trouble. And actually, I think there's these moments in the Bible where you see people speak up and act out that are kind of the, like these epic moments that you go, oh, that's so beautiful. And you ask yourself, why is that so beautiful? Well, it's because they spoke up and they acted, like when Abraham took his son up to the to Mount Moriah. Why is that so beautiful? Well, because he acted and spoke out in obedience to God or David when he defeated Goliath. Why is that so beautiful? It's because he's he's standing we're back to David again. <laughs> we're he, we're <laughs> we're standing he's standing in a field full of apathetic men that are doing nothing while a war is supposed to be going on for 40 days. And then David walks on the scene and he just jumps right into the thing. He speaks and acts on behalf of God. I think that's what's so incredible about a man who fights against the impulse of apathy. But but here's where it gets really personal. We've got to start doing this in regard to our sin, in in regard to our relationships at home, uh, with our kids and with our wife, because I think it's beautiful. And, And some men, I think, are really hesitant to act out uh, against apathy to God, simply because they they kind of don't know what to do at times. They're they're just kind of perplexed. Like, what what am I supposed to do? And I think sometimes we don't make things simple enough for a guy to just kind of understand how to take the next step. And that's what, really what we want him to do is just just take a step, like step into it, like do something, don't do nothing, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, try to lead your family spiritually, you know. Try to talk with your wife about things that actually matter in the future, you know. Try to battle with the sin in your life. Just try to do something. Don't just sit around and and wait you know, for nothing to happen, you know, do something. And that's what I try to inspire men to do is just take that step. And, you know, it, it just begins with reading God's word and responding in an obedient way. Yeah, if you wait for nothing to happen, it usually works. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't, you, wouldn't you say? Yeah, 100% of the time, right? Yeah. yeah. What, what would you say to uh, the women who might be listening who are wishing their husband took more of a leadership role in, uh, spiritually in their family? Well, I would first say you got to pray about it for sure. Yes. I'd say, secondly, you got to get them to do those small steps of obedience, like invite them to take that step of obedience by by praying, by engaging. Uh, sometimes, yes, it means kind of dragging them along. But, man, the more exposure that they can have to, God, to God-fearing men who are who they should be, it's, it's just going to sharpen them. I am appalled by how many men don't spend time with people that are spiritually better than them. <laughs> like, it's just, a, it's what you, appalling. What do you mean spiritually better? That's an interesting I, expression. I, I know. It's it's kind of a rudimentary way to kind of describe something. But what I'm saying is there are guys out there that are further along in their spiritual life than I am. Guys sure. who have experience down the road in something that I haven't experienced. I believe that God invented the coolest pro bono system for getting anything you ever want called the church. (laughs) And right inside of it Mm -hmm. are men and women 
through whom we can experience their spiritual gifts that, that, that drive us toward, and I keep saying being better, but toward obedience, mm-hmm. right? Toward growth, spurring us on. Yeah. And uh, we need to be in front of those people more often. But most of the time, what I see, especially with, with men, because that's predominantly my biggest audience, but when I'm, when I'm talking with men, they're spending time with people that don't make them better. <laughs> they're spending time with men that just bring them down. They're constantly playing down. So I, I would say to women, just put put them or try to encourage them to be in relationship with people that are further down the spiritual walk than they are. Now, that's hard to do as a spouse. I understand it because, look, they've got to want it. Mm-hmm. They've got to want it. But I know this, pain is a teacher. <laughs> and when a man goes through pain, what he wants to do is remove it. So put him in front of a man who has survived that pain who is a God-fearing man, and he will find a way to share with that man, your husband or friend or brother or father, whoever it is, a way to be better down that path of spirituality. And I keep playing on this word better, but I'm trying to make things rudimentary, right? Like, let's not make it out of reach, just simple steps. Mm -hmm. Would it be uh, making yourself available to be under uh, some kind of discipleship authority and putting yourself in that situation, that's maybe the way that you grow in your faith? Yeah, absolutely. I think you can put yourself underneath uh, someone who can mentor you. Absolutely. I talk about mentorship all the time, and I think that uh, formalizing that relationship is good. But I think it starts kind of casually at first. It it starts where uh, two men kind of do activities that are kind of shoulder to shoulder, you know, like maybe you or I, we play golf or we shoot guns or we go to games, things that begin with G, you know, (laughs) like (laughs) do something where you can be shoulder to shoulder with another man, because I will tell you some of the best conversations I've had with my boys. So I'm just talking about my boys at this moment uh, are conversations we have in the car where we're looking forward, not looking at each other. Right. 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 Because it's kind of weird to sit down, you know, and look at someone, another guy in the eye and have. Now you know how I feel right now. Yeah, exactly. This is weird, man. (laughs) You do this all the time. You should be used to it (laughs) but the the whole idea that um, men uh if they're passive or if they're not uh doing spiritual leadership it's great that the woman the wife prays for him but also we hope that they get in a position where they're going to be discipled and they're going to find men who have walked journeys walked through fire gotten on the other side that they can come alongside and grow in their understanding of God's word and and model that kind of spiritual maturity. Exactly. Okay, so let me tell you one way that I've had an impact on my family. It, it, it's it's one way I think that a woman can encourage a man too. So, you know this about about ten years ago, I I started writing a devotional for my family. Okay, so I decided that I want to have an impact on my kids' lives. So they they were younger teens at the time. I decided what I was going to do is text them a scripture every day for 30 days. So mm-hmm. day one, day two, day three, I'd text them with some thoughts in it. Uh, no kidding. Day 30, not a single response from any of the three. Oh, not one. On. Not, on. not a thumbs up, not no, a no, smiley no, no. emoji, nothing. No, Zero. no, no, no. You're, kill, you're killing me. Zero. Oh, boy. Nada. I struck out 30 times. 30 days, 30 devotions. With three no, kids. With three kids, okay. And you got nothing. I got zero. Goose egg. Okay. Are you, you blocked on their phones? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. I hope not. I pay for it. I mean, still pay for it, by the way. My daughter's married. Okay, so somehow we got to work on that. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, uh, no joke. Day 30, I said, okay, enough of this. It's not working. Day 30, I didn't send the email or whatever, or 31, whatever it was, or send the text. And my daughter replies. She goes, Dad, where's my Devo? 
Um, I, I said to her back kind of sarcastically, yeah. if you could hear a tone in a text, I said yeah. to her, you read my devos? Yeah. She says, Dad, I read your devos and I share them with my friends. Wow. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, not only that, my son piped in. He said the same, and my other son piped in and said the same, too. In fact, sometimes they turned them around and actually read them to their friends. I was shocked by that. Okay, so that little thing that I just did there became the Daily Devo that I send out to men across the world today that now literally 100,000 or more men read every day, every single day. It mm-hmm. became a little thing that became a big thing. Well, I'm, I'm saying that to the I'm saying that to you and to the women listening today, the wives, to say, like, look, it could be something as simple as a text and a scripture you send to your guy that you have no ideas having an impact in their spiritual life, and it's laughable. Like, that turned into part, probably the biggest part of my ministry on a daily basis. Every day, hundreds of thousands of men read a Devo that I send out to them on video, audio, and written format. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. And I'm blown away by it, by how many people share it with other people. It's just me reading through the Bible. That's what I do. I just read through starting Galatians on Monday, if you guys want to start with me. The book of Galatians, just finishing up the book of Proverbs. But, man, it's, I, I just think we underestimate the power of God's word and the power of the spirit. We don't have to do big things to draw men out. We don't. Mm-hmm. We just have to be faithful with little steps, praying, sharing scripture, speaking truth, staying with it, and watch out. God will do amazing things. Yeah. So can you open your phone and maybe walk us through one of these devos? Yeah. Uh, I don't know how easy, how quickly can you boot one up? Oh, I can. Let me see here. I will see if I can actually boom right there. Is the ringer off too? Yeah, the, the ringer's ringer off. off. Oh, good. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so here's here's today's Devo. So today's Devo is four things a father told his son about his future wife. So I'm finishing off the book of Proverbs. Okay. Right? P31. Talking about the P31 wife. Uh, do you want me to read the whole thing or just a part of it? Well, I'm down to 90 seconds. So, 90 seconds. Yeah, I'm probably going to have you read it after the break. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, because yeah, that way we're under no time pressure. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So awesome. if I was listening today and I thought I wouldn't mind getting on this mailing list, how would I do that for your uh, your devos? Beresolute.org. Beresolute, B-E-R-E-S-O-L-U-T-E dot org. Beresolute.org. Yeah, and right up in the corner, you'll just see a Devo button. It says Devo. Click that. It'll take you right there. Cool. And you'll yeah. get you'll get one in your uh, email, email box, box every day? Every day. Every day. Seven days a week or just five? Yeah, every day. Every day of the week. Really? Working through the Bible. Yep. Ending Proverbs this week and then beginning Galatians. Nice. I just gave it away. I try not to tell anybody that. And I just told <laughs> a million people that on the yeah. radio program here. Well, so. on my ro- radio program, it would be 11 million people. Yeah. See? That's yeah, impressive. maybe 13. <laughs> I never changes all the time. <laughs> Just make up numbers. Oh, yeah. Of course, I'm just making stuff up. (laughs) All right. Vince Miller is my guest. Uh, He's written a book called The Book of Job, which we haven't even started talking about yet. So we may or may may not get there. We'll find out when we come back. All right? Yeah. But when we do come back, we're going to hear his Devo, the kind of Devo you can get in your email box every day. And that's at beresolute.org. Be right back.
are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold, Faith, Hope, and Clarity, in a special repeat performance. To the sh- Welcome back to the show. Glad to have Vince Miller with me today. We're talking about uh, all kinds of stuff except his book. <laughs> we'll get to it eventually. Maybe. Maybe. You're going to share a devotion. Yeah. And yeah. people can sign up for these daily at yeah. beresolute.org. Exactly. I just, basically what I do, Bill, is I just, I read through books of the Bible. I skip from an Old Testament book to a New Testament book. I always do it from a man's point of view because I'm, I'm working with men. So yep. I try to make it as masculine, masculine as possible. Today, we're in Proverbs 31, which is you know, really All about, about women. a woman. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I entitled this one, Four Things a Father Told His Son About His Future Wife. And of course, it's King Lemuel, right? And he's writing this last one. It's the P31 woman. It's it's a chiasm is what it is. So there's like an apex in the writing right in the middle of it. It kind of makes the point. And then we discovered that this king is writing to his son. He's explaining to his son what the ideal woman is like. And here's the verse. I'm not going to read all the Devo. I'll just read a part of it. But the verse reads, her husband is known in the gates so at the public place, when he sits among the elders of the land, and you just, man, when I read that, I feel the prestige of the verse, right? You feel like, okay, son, I want you to hear this. When you find the ideal woman, he draws out, she draws out your notoriety and respect among the people of the land, Mm -hmm. because there's this complementary role that she plays. And so he goes on to describe this woman with all these different attributes. But here's what I love about this text. He does four things here that I think every father should do. He talks with his son about the future, which I think is important. I think most fathers are not talking with their kids about the future. Number two, he emphasizes the importance of a woman's character. So he draws out all these internal traits and attributes that are uh, quite beautiful and attractive, by the way. Number three, there's a couple of places in here where he doesn't ignore the physical aspects of a woman, which I really like, by the way. He actually just goes right for him. He says she cares for herself in a certain way. You know, she cares for the, the marriage bed. She, she cares for her children. So he, there's not the ignoring of what some, sometimes we think of as vain, right? There's, there's beauty in how she does things. And then finally, he communicates the seen and unseen effects of a good wife. In other words, how it's going to affect him as a person. Like the respect he's going to get into. Mm-hmm. And I, I love God's word, dude. It is crying out with all kinds of great stuff. And it, the funny thing is, Psalm 31 was written to a young man, not a woman. It's about how to find a beautiful woman, a godly woman. And it even culminates in this, at, the, at this end part is she's one who fears the Lord. It, basically, we end the Proverbs where we began with the fear of the Lord. So there's, anyway, I just love reading the Bible. So anyway. Well, I can tell. I mean, I love your enthusiasm <laughs> and your excitement. This is the kind of enthusiasm you put into every one of these daily devotions, don't you? Every day. Video. I do them on video, do audio. You? Yeah, video every single day. Really? Bro. Every single day. What do you day. just hold up your iPhone? What do you yeah, do? Yeah, I probably have a little camera in my man cave. <laughs> I, I have an office that my wife calls a man cave. You, you'll notice it when you look at the videos. But yeah, basically just speak to the camera and tell guys, here's what we're reading today. And I jump right at it. It takes about, I do about three to five minutes. It's quick, actionable, and kind of gives some guys some things to think about. So this was the devotional that I sent this morning to my boys and uh, my son-in-law. I like it. Sent it twice like it. to my son-in-law. Yeah. Yep. That's a great story. Mm-hmm. All right. I feel obligated to go to the book of Job. 
a Bible oh, yeah. study guide for men by Vince Miller. Mm-hmm. Your new book. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I got uh, a few. I, I love Job. Yeah, why do you love Job? Let me ask you. Well, he uh, was so committed, mm-hmm. so godly, so righteous, mm-hmm. so um, unbendable. Yeah. Resolute. Res- he was resolute. Yeah. And I, 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 I sometimes think of the, tr- the tragedy that was brought into his life, unthinkable. Yeah, that's exactly how you feel after you get done with chapter one. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like you're like, you gotta wait be a kidding. second. Yeah, you, you got to be kidding. Got to be kidding. Like, how did this unfold? What happened in the heavenlies? Why did this happen? Mm-hmm. Why did he deserve to go through this? Uh, how is he going to respond? And then he responds with kind of the most glorious response. You know, at the end of chapter one, Lord gives, Lord takes away. Bless be his name or blessed if you're really mm-hmm. holy. Right. You know, yeah, yeah it's it's. It's tough to read his story at times. In fact, I think it's actually the the hardest part of the story is listening to these three guys like come at him for multiple chapters. Like it's just exhausting, by the way. I think that's why a lot of people kind of get stuck with Job. But the beginning and the end are just remarkable. A, a man of suffering. And, and, you know, I write these study guides, right? They're, they're basically books. They have some devotionals in between them, like the devotionals I just read to you. But... They're basically designed to help men to get into groups to talk about books of the Bible. So I actually started this last year, Bill. I think I've mentioned this before, maybe here or somewhere, but I started doing, I'm doing a Bible study on every book of the Bible for men. I don't think it's ever been done before. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try to be the first if I ever get done with it. But uh, this one on Job was the second book I did. The first one was on James, which is totally the easy pick for guys, but Man, writing on suffering for men, I have really found that it it really draws them out because I think every man is going to go through some form of suffering in his life and feel like it's unfair. And this book puts that all into perspective. Mm -hmm. Was it really unfair that Job suffered? And we can dig into that that question and discover Mm -hmm. an answer to it. Vince uh, Miller is my guest, and let me ask you this, Vince. What, what's a question you would like to ask God about evil and suffering? That's great. I, you know, I think there's a lot of things that I'd love to go to heaven and ask God. I mean, let's say I have a million questions. Mm-hmm. I'd love for him to play back some moments. Actually, this would be a moment I'd love to see played back in high definition when I get to heaven. Is mm-hmm. Like, walk me through it. What did it look like? It was the first known book of the Bible, by the way. This is the oldest one that we have on record. And the the story is so picturesque. I would love to ask God, uh, could I please see more of the conversation that you had with Satan? That's what I'd like to ask him. That'd be interesting. could, Could you play that out a little bit more? Because what I love about the book is that we get one of these very rare glimpses of Satan and God having a conversation. Mm-hmm. And God calls a couple of meetings and Satan has to show up. Mm-hmm. Like Satan can't get out of it. You know, I know he's a fallen angel and he's free to roam the earth, right? But I love that Satan still shows up. It's well because he's he's got to be there. And even though God allows Satan to do a couple of things, he puts limits on it with Job. But you know what I love most about the interaction between those two is I really think God saw the beauty in who Job was and really saw him and said, there ain't a guy like this guy. Mm-hmm. He, 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 You could tempt a lot of people, 
But there ain't a guy like Job. And in the end, we discovered that there ain't a guy like Job. Like, he, he's really rare. He still did sin. He, he went a little too high in front of God. You know what I mean? He, he went a little too high during the debate with the three friends. But then he comes back down low again as we get to the end of the book and God questions him, which has got to be the most fearful experience of his entire life. <laughs> you know, to be confronted by a holy God that says, gird up your loins, oh man, <laughs> I will question you, which mm-hmm. is a frightening thought. I'd like to see that moment too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Vince, in your book, you, t- you say, so this behind the scenes look into this divine meeting should not concern us who are believers in God. It's only a reminder of these facts that we live in a fallen world corrupted by humanity's disobedience to God, that our disobedience to God uh, gives authority to Satan. Say more about that. You know, I think we we fail to remember sometimes that that we are in a spiritual war. That's what I love about the beginning of this book, is you get to peek into the heavenlings and you're reminded that, oh man, this is a spiritual battle. The bad part about it for Job is he doesn't see that peek into the heavenlies, right? He doesn't mm-hmm. see that part. Right. He doesn't know what's going on up there. So for me, the lesson is this, at least from the first part of the book, is we got to remember that when things aren't going the way that we want in our life and we're experiencing suffering, whether it's inflicted by others, which is unfair, or it's inflicted by ourselves, which is fair, that there's something else going on behind the scenes. And while we want to try to understand what's happening behind the scenes, what we need to do, do, do is go through it and do it obediently not disobediently, because if we do it disobediently, we're going to make the situation worse. We're going to make it worse. And it takes a very resolute man to face into those moments, continue to be obedient in moments that we're tempted to be disobedient. And uh, obviously we discover from the conversation with the three friends that essentially what they do is they persuade him down the wrong theological path and they they instruct him to curse God and die because they think there's something wrong that Job did. But there wasn't anything wrong that Job did. Job was obedient. He was a good man. What the three friends didn't see was that Satan was trying to draw out the worst out of not only the situation, but through them. And in the end, Elihu, who's the friend who was sitting there that we don't know what was sitting there the entire time, which is kind of bizarre when you think about the story. There were not just three men there. There were four. There's this young man who speaks up who points a finger at these guys, these three other guys, and he's he's indignant. He's actually angry with them and with Job, of course, because throughout the story, we discover that Job goes a little bit too high because he's trying to defend himself in front of these three friends because he knows he hasn't done anything wrong. But now that he knows that he hasn't done anything wrong, he does something wrong. <laughs> It's just such a twisted way to go about it. But he becomes disobedient in his obedience, and he goes a little too high, and then God's got to bring him back down. Mm -hmm. So here we are back at the sharpening thing again with Elihu, right? Yeah. You see in your book, watch carefully for those lies and deceptions the enemy will throw at you and guard against them with God's truth. And you ask some good questions. You, You say this, ask this, what common deceptions do we passively or actively embrace in our time? You. Yeah, that's a stinger, right? Yeah, it there, is a stinger. Huh? Yeah, because we we actually, you know, here's that word passivity again, right? Mm-hmm. We we may passively allow things to happen because we actually secretly want them to happen, mm-hmm. which was Adam in the garden. You know, Adam was given voice and the moral rule and power and dominion and authority before woman was ever created. And yet in the moment that he's needed, he does nothing and says nothing. Well, why does he does? Because he's passive, but passive to obedience because he actually wants what's on the other side of that. He wants to be like God. So Mm. there's your passivity play, right? But then there's also active 
active disobedience. That's where we intentionally do something to kind of, to, that is intended actually to hurt ourselves and other people. The problem with that is it, it creates suffering for other people that's often unfair and that ain't fair for them. Mm-hmm. And we, I use the word unfair there lightly because there is no such thing as unfair suffering. Everybody deserves to suffer. <laughs> that's the problem with the book of Job is, you know, Job actually did suffer. And that's because God is in control of all things. Mm-hmm. And suffering ain't fair because we live in a fallen world because mm-hmm. it was broken a long time ago. So in the book, Vince, it's, it says, ask this, do this, pray this. And the do this part is pray that God will reveal deception in others and you. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a great thing. And then pray this. God, please convict me when I see deception in this life. Please also convict me when I embrace deception myself. Yikes. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Yeah, you know, that's a prayer that no one wants to pray. Yeah. (laughs) You know, isn't it true? Like, heal me of my deception. Clarify where I have been uh, deceived Mm -hmm. by my own thoughts or ideas or actions. Like, uh, that's the thing that really sharpens deep. That's where we start. Let's go back to the grinder, right, in the ironsmith's workshop. Like, when we start grinding out that iron, we're going to see imperfections in it. And you know what the you know what the ironsmith's going to do? Sometimes he's going to grind harder. Mm-hmm. He's going to push harder, and he's going to take out those imperfections. Or even worse, he's going to throw us back into the heat and beat on us a little bit more. <laughs> and uh, often that's what God does. I mean, if you if you just you think about what's happening here, man, there's all kinds of things happening in this story to draw this out, but. Bill, you you and I both know that right now we may be cognitively dissonant of this, but <laughs> there is deception we're holding on to right now. Clearly. That, that yeah, absolutely, that mm. we're holding on to for dear life that we don't even know, we're not even aware that we're holding on to, to dare to ask God to reveal that. Ouch. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a hard prayer to pray because often we don't like looking back at the impurities within our own heart. Mm-hmm. Right? Vince, can you expand on how to conquer that passive disobedience? Yeah, the, uh, the passive disobedience. So I want you to think about this for a second. We we can be actively disobedient. That's actually to do something intentionally and to be cognitively aware that we're doing it, right? So be actively disobedient. And then there's the passive disobedience. That's where we know we should do something, but we intentionally don't do anything, that's what I call passive disobedience. It's a different form of disobedience because it's more elusive. It's just as arrogant, though. That's the problem with it. It's just as arrogant. In fact, it's more devious and it's more insidious and it's more problematic because we kind of, I would put it in the category of faking it or pretending. It's the hypocrisy that Jesus spoke against, the pretending like you're looking like you're obedient, but in your heart you're not obedient. It's the most devious and insidious form of of, of sin, I think, is mm-hmm. to is to pretend like you got it all together, pretend like you're doing what is righteous, but in your heart you know that you're not. So, for example, you walk up to the counter, someone gives you too much change back when we used to have cash, mm-hmm. right? I remember, I remember those days. I remember those days. Yeah. That was a couple of decades ago. Mm-hmm. But you look down at the cash and you go, I'm just going to keep it. You know, that's that's passive disobedience, you know, choosing to sin when we know no one's watching. You know, devious, right? But the problem is, is that God sees it. Mm-hmm. The only way to counter that is by confession, by speaking 
about it by speaking truth back into the situation. I call it preaching into it, preaching into my soul and then preaching it out loud. No, I'm not going to keep it. I think you gave me too much change. Just say it immediately, right? Mm-hmm. Say it quick because it takes power away from that moment. It takes power away from the, the devious parts of my soul and my motivation, which is what God is after, by the way, anyway, because he wants us to confess these things to him because he knows that we have done it. He just wants to make sure that we know that he knows, that we know, <laughs> that we've done it, right? Mm-hmm. So just saying it out loud helps, yeah. I think, sometimes. I'll be right back with Vince Miller. His book is called The Book of Job, A Bible Study Guide for Men. We'll be right back. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. I'm back with Vince Miller. He's written a book called The Book of Job, one of many books he's written. You can go to beresolute.org. You can sign up for his daily devotional. He does them seven days a week, 390 days a year. Because so, he's that ambitious. Yeah, I just add days. You just add days, yeah. <laughs> Do you think uh, you can quickly recall, I'm not saying I want you to say what it is, but can you recall the most challenging crisis you have faced in your life? I don't want you to share it out loud unless you want to, but does does it come to mind quickly? Or, yes. Oh, it does. Okay. And it, I'm, I'm, how did you work your way through it? And how long did it take? It it took a while. Um, it was pretty humbling. Okay. Um, it took a lot of process, but... God was faithful. Who came alongside you? Uh, Therapist, men, your wife, everybody? Yeah, it was a combination of a couple of guys. So here's the situation. So my, I don't know how much time I got. How much time we got left? Five Um, minutes? Seven minutes. Okay, so I'll try to do this in three minutes. All right. So my mom dies when I was in my late 20s. She had a home in California. I ended up selling it fairly quickly. Um, my bio dad called me on the phone afterwards. I hadn't spoken to my bio dad in 20 years. He called and, you know, I have a recognizable voice, so I knew it was his voice, obviously. And he says to me on the phone, he says, son, um, I heard your mom died. And I'm like, is this my dad? <laughs> like, yeah. He said, and, uh, hey, I, I need something from you. I, I heard you sold the house and I expect money from that. Hmm. For all the years of child support I paid to your mom. I was crushed by that moment. There was a, an interchange of some questions and um, I hung up the phone because I was kind of angry and hurt by it. I asked him not to call me ever again. Out of that situation, my soul was just turning over inside of me. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, I don't know if I handled that situation right. I mean... I told him never to call me again. It was there wasn't it wasn't heated, but I was calm enough to be about my wits. And uh, what happened was I, I decided to write him a letter, and uh, a friend of mine who was a lawyer, who was a, a close friend, male, older than me, found out I was writing this letter and said, "Hey, let's meet for breakfast." And he said, "By the way, bring that letter with you." I'm like, "Okay." 
So I, I brought the letter with me, and, and he took it, and he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to make some corrections to this. Let's get back together for breakfast in a week or so, and uh, we'll we'll see where we go from here. So no kidding, about a week went by. He uh, he brought the letter back with him. It had a whole bunch of red marks on it, by the way. It was about a page and a half. And he said, I want you to take this home. I want you to look at my red marks, and I want you to make some corrections to this letter. No kidding. I went home, and within a, a couple hours, I had made the corrections. I emailed him back to him, and he said, okay, looks good. Let's let's meet in a couple of days. So no kidding. I show back up at the meeting at this little breakfast place, and he's got the letter out there again with a whole bunch of red marks all over again, <laughs> more than the first time. And he says, I want you to take this home. I want you to look at these corrections, make some corrections, and then uh, send it back to me, and we'll see where he goes. So no kidding, I went home. Within a couple hours, it, it was exhausting, by the way. Within a couple hours, I'd rewritten it, sent it back to him. He says, hey, I got, I got your email. It says, it looks good. Let's meet one more time. So no kidding, I get to show up at the breakfast place expecting to see a bunch of red marks on the paper, and there weren't this time. And he, um, he, he pushed it across the table, and he said, Vince, this is the letter. He says, but I need you to do me a favor. I need you to tear that thing up and delete it from your computer. I says, you know, your dad's not going to listen to you. He's not going to respect your thoughts or opinions. He's not a Christian. He's not going to listen. And you know that. He says, but you did this for you. And I want you to learn to forgive and to love him anyway. And I got to tell you that that moment was for sure one of the defining moments of my spiritual life at that time. It's true. And uh, it really made an impact on me. So that was my iron sharpens iron moment, a moment of suffering where God used another person in my life to to draw the very best out of me during a moment of suffering and pain that was really hard to get over. And mm-hmm. I'll never forget that. His name was Stuart Lumpkins, lawyer from Texas, and uh, greatly impacted my spiritual life just in that little interchange right there. Wow, that's uh, amazing. I'm, I'm guessing you were shocked by his, his instruction. Yeah, it was... I was really surprised. I did, he didn't tell me what he was doing, but it affected me forever. Mm-hmm. I'll never, I don't even remember what was on the letter, to be quite honest. I actually did tear it up and I did delete it, but it was the most therapeutic thing that mm-hmm. another man could have ever led me through. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I'll never forget what he did. It was genius. I mean, that was just a genius move on his part. Mm-hmm. How he thought to do that, I don't know. Yeah. He used his, his skill and his gift to make me a better man, sharpen, mm-hmm. sharpen me yeah. right? through a suffering moment. Yeah. Now, my question that just pops into my head is, what about Dad? Did he come back still wanting money? No, that was the last time we ever talked. He's He's gone at this point. But yeah. yeah, last time we ever talked. So you never spoke to him again? Never. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have peace with that, I think. You know, it's it's sad that it happened that way, but... He was inebriated. I could tell he was inebriated when you spoke on the phone. Kind of a tragic moment. But mm-hmm. And he, got, he left your life when you were about two. Yeah, he left when I was two. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, you he were largely raised by Grandpa? Yep, Grandpa. And how important it is for Grandpas to be involved oh, in, my in the life of their grandsons. I'm doing what I do today because of Grandpa. So if you're a Grandpa out there listening, you need to get involved in your yeah. grandson's life because uh, I'm, I'm literally doing what I'm doing didn't today. Didn't Grandpa because, have an awesome truck? Yeah, he did. He had a 58 Chevy, which... Was it red? Yeah, it was red. And you would hang out, and he would work on it, and you would work on it with him. Yeah, yeah, basically. And just keep just your kinda... fingers off the paint. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was pristine, yeah. yeah. He was a military guy, so he was pretty disciplined and pretty structured about how he did things. But, you know, that, that truck created so many spiritual memories for me. And that truck, I remember, my grand. here's another 
big defining moment. I remember in the truck, my grandfather said to me one day when we were stopped, he said, hey, son, I have something to tell you. He says, I know your mom and dad say God is not real because Christians are hypocrites and the church is full of broken people. He goes, and I need you to know they're right. The church is full of broken people. And yes, I'm a hypocrite. But guess what? I don't put my faith in the church or in broken people. I put my faith in a man who was broken for me, and his name was Jesus. And that's why I believe. Hmm. And uh, honestly, that little conversation my grandfather had with me in that truck turned my life right side up. It was that one conversation. Again, another sharpening moment. It mm-hmm. took 30 seconds. Right. But grandpa's, that's all it takes is 30 wow. seconds to turn someone's life right wow. side up. So. There's nothing wasted in God's economy. There's no. nothing inconsequential in God's economy. 30 seconds. I know. Kapawi, it's still paying dividends right. in your life. Yeah. Yeah. 30 seconds listening to the show. I mean, could change someone's life. I know. Right? I know. Really? Seriously. We only have about 30 seconds left. Okay, that's perfect. <laughs> I love you, man. Thank you for I love having you too. me. Yeah, yeah it's appreciate great being with you. Uh, we didn't talk much about your book, but uh, that's okay. it's a great book. The Book of Job, a Bible study guide for men. You can go to theresolute.org, learn more about it, maybe pick up a copy yeah. there. Perfect. Yeah, great. Vince, thanks. Yep. Great to be with you. Good to be with you too, bud. All right. That wraps up our show for the day and for the week. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.